Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, disrupting the entire lobbying industry. How the, the public and how businesses and organizations were viewing the lobbying industry and advocacy in general, and there was a general disdain for that. Uh, people thought that it was a murky offering, thought that the prices were overinflated. Advocacy and lobbying may be a dirty word for some, but the reality is it's a big industry here in the D.C. region, and it's one that's ripe for disruption. Our next guest is Paul Knutra. He is the founder of Lobby It. You're up to some really interesting stuff, Paul. Tell us a bit about Lobby It and how it's working within the current lobbying industry and changing advocacy. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me here today. I really appreciate it. Love what you guys are doing with the show. Uh, there's a lot of negatives associated with what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. And uh, I think our industry mirrors that pretty, pretty closely um, in that uh, people are not seeing what's working and people are not seeing all the positives that are going on. And really, that was the impetus for introduction of, of our firm and how we launched back in 2009. We took a look at the lobbying space and we saw all these negatives and we saw uh, you know, how the, the public and how businesses and organizations were viewing the lobbying industry and advocacy in general. And there was a general disdain for that. Uh, people thought that it was a murky offering, thought that the prices were overinflated, uh, thought that lobbyists were you know, working behind this curtain where you know, they were just pulling all these strings and levers and using campaign donations and dollars to influence politics. And uh, that bad taste that was left in everybody's mouth kept a lot of people out of the industry. And as we all know, for every R.J. Reynolds tobacco out there and Walmart and Microsoft that uh, has a lobbying need, uh, you know, there's thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of organizations out there that are nonprofits or cities or municipalities or colleges or universities that, that need a voice. And not everybody has the budget or the bandwidth or the, the time to, to be here in Washington, D.C. on a regular basis. Uh, to be able to tell their story in front of you know, Congress and, and the agencies and the administration. And when we saw that, that void, we kind of wanted to fill the space. And I think we built a good construct to do that. <laughs> Democratizing advocacy, what a concept. <laughs> We're a, trying. Well, so how, how does an organization, how do you disrupt an industry if the industry ultimately is one-on-one -on -one contacts and having people ha have the ability to access the right folks to talk with? How do you disrupt Good that? question, good question. And, and I think, you know, w the way that we tackled this was we, we tried to really break down, well, what is lobbying? And how can we take all these negatives and turn them into positives? And we looked at the pricing. So Lobby it, uh, initially decided to say, okay, well, right now all these organizations are giving contracts really based on how deep their pockets are assessed to be. And, and we didn't want to do that. So we broke everything down into tier levels where within those tier levels uh, we gave people concrete uh, concrete takeaways in terms of, of what lobbying is. So at a tier one level, it's very basic representation, right? It's only $995 a month. It gives them a set price. It gives them an opportunity to dip their toes into the federal waters and know that we're out there and we're going to take a meeting for them every month and we're going to kind of map the, the federal landscape and we're going to give them a voice and, and, and make it so that's not so intimidating for somebody to dip into everything. Now, uh, you know, we go all the way down the spectrum where at a tier three level, we're doing full on lobbying representation for $2,995 a month and it's all hands on deck. 
and and we add in all the grassroots advocacy tools that we need to to utilize as well uh we lobby on the agency side of things we lobby on the congressional side of things and i think that's the way to really look at it right we are taking lobbying and we're trying to break it down and treat it like an industry right i mean if you were selling ice cream or hamburgers or car tires or whatever it may be you'd want to have a brand you'd want to have it be approachable uh you'd want to have it have a good price point and various different merits that when people compare it against the competitors out there, that it would make it appetizing to them. And that's kind of the way that we did this. And I think transparency is a big part of that as well. Uh, we bake in uh, very clear monthly reports that really say, here's what we did on your behalf. Uh, you know, Paul, it's interesting hearing you talk about this. You sound a lot to me like other disruptors I've met. You know, we talk about the internet enabling the long tail. You're unapologetically trying to provide access to people, and unapologetic and lobbying is not a phrase I often hear here in D.C. We seem to have almost a, we hate that we have lobbyists here, but you don't see it that way, do you? No, and that's, I mean, our name is Lobby It, right? And, and we knew that that could be somewhat off-putting in the beginning by basically saying, we are lobbyists. We're not doing this whole deregistering thing that everybody's doing right now, where they're playing cutesy games saying, well, we're not really lobbying. We're proud to be lobbyists because we're giving a voice to those who need one, and we want to wear it on our on our sleeves. And that's really how our whole construct kind of came about. Why do you think that people here in D.C. have such a, such a dim view of lobbying? If it's basically it's just freedom of speech and advocacy. I know, I know. It's it's crazy when you think about that. The freedom of speech aspect gets gets lost a lot. And there have been bad actors in the space. There's no way that you can ignore that there haven't been people who have been using influence and money and power in ways that kind of uh, circumnavigate uh, around the public's best interests sometimes. And, and that leaves that leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Earmarks had a lot to do with it. We came around right at the, the death of earmarks, which I think was fortuitous for us because uh, it was a good time. People no longer wanted the bridge to nowhere that was going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars that was only going to be benefit a, a few different people. And, you know, we, we pounced on that. We have more people in the advocacy industry working here in D.C. region than, say, industries like healthcare, for example. What makes somebody a good advocate, do you think? Uh, and I, I, there's a couple different things, I guess, the way to look at it. I think honesty and reputation is really important. We try and pride ourselves on being nonpartisan so that when we walk into an office, it's not Republican or not Democrat. You know, we're standing on the merits of the story that our clients have to tell, and I think that gets lost a lot. And in this kind of Congress, in, in this kind of political environment that we have overall with the gerrymandering of districts leading to a more polarized right and a more polarized left, there's this void in the middle. And so much of what we find isn't moving up in the, the halls of Congress is not happening simply because they're not talking to each other anymore. And you know, we view ourselves as lobbyists as kind of bridging that divide and taking maybe a bill that was introduced by a member of Congress and actually going out and shopping it to other members of Congress and getting the co-sponsors on board and building momentum, which really should be the job of the staff, right? And should be the job of the office, but it's getting dropped because people view uh, the other side of the aisle as uh, this group that they can't work with or that they can't identify with. So effectively what you've done is you found an entrepreneurial opportunity to get people to talk to each other. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, another example of how <laughs> <laughs> you can find opportunity everywhere if you know where to look. 
Paul Kinesher, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk with us about the advocacy industry here, reminding us that there's a lot of good that can be done with it. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. Today's podcast is brought to you by Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation, MCEDC, helping companies start, grow, and accelerate business in Montgomery County. The future starts here. Go to thinkmoco.com today. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online contributors are Michael Hoffman, Barbara Ulrich, and Candace Pye. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening.